What would be the least terrifying monster movie or creature to move in next door to you? Huh. That's a great question, Mark, but I feel like you need to sell it more. I feel like, you know, paint paint the scene for us. The year is 1993. It's a dark and stormy night. Sit in your front yard. You look over and you see a U-Haul truck come back by your house and out comes insert your least scary horror monster right here well my version is is it's saturday morning and you're having to do uh, your chores you got to mow the lawn but it's that push mower you know the one without the gas just the one with the blades and then next to your house it's been empty for three to six months then the u-haul shows up and then you see your creature did i sell it a little better is that good Oh, that's that's good. I'm ready to go. John, take us home, baby. All right, all right. What you got? <laughs> well, I've always held that dolls are my least f- scary thing. So any of the doll creatures, get an Annabelle, a Chucky, I'd be like, eh, all right. I mean, it sucks and, you know, terrifying in the sense that they do successfully kill people somehow. But I would say that's the least terrifying for me. <laughs> so Chucky and Tiffany finally decide to settle down? Yeah, any kind of Chucky. Chester and Lucy Dahlman. Exactly. I'd just be like, you know, all right, I'm going to put you in a drawer. I'm going to put you, put you in a drawer. drawer. <laughs> <laughs> That'll stop them, John. Two and a half feet tall. I'm not worried about you, Chucky. Oh, my God. <laughs> Probably weigh a pound and a half. Like, I think I got this. Uh, he puts rocks in his shoes just to just to weight him down a little bit for you. <laughs> You'd have to nail shut your doggy door, dude, because that thing would just get right in. That's true. That sounds terrifying. Come on. A little bit. No, I mean, <laughs> I acknowledge that, you know, I it, they would probably kill me because they do success. They're good at what they do. I just don't understand how. And so if I had a pick, that's what I would pick. I mean, like, the classics all seem horrible. I mean, I don't want to live next to a werewolf or a vampire. I mean, I can go through all the lists, demons, ghosts, all that seemed way worse. Though maybe ghosts might beat dolls because ghosts are stuck to the house that they're haunting. So as long as I don't go into the house, I'll be fine. I believe you mean poultrygeist, though. Those would be terrible. Yeah, that'd be pretty bad. Well, since you entered the realm of the classics, I was going with the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Quasimodo. I think he'd just be that annoying neighbor who was like ringing the church bells when you're hungover the next morning. Like, ow, shut up, Quasi. I'm trying to sleep. I had 13 whiskeys last night. Or, you know, if you leave your... uh, 13 whiskeys? That's just an example. (laughs) You may or may not drink that many whiskeys. Your life is your own. You do what you want to do. But I'm saying that... (laughs) Mark's Mark's about to become a ghost. (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe you leave your fence open. He gets in and he eats all your chickens. Oh, Quasimodo, that's a bad hunchback. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's... He's just going to be more of an an annoyance than really a terrifying creature. Or misunderstood Quasimodo. I wouldn't even consider him a horror character. The real horror, I'm team Quasi. The real horror is what happens to him. Yeah, that's like an elephant man situation. Look around you. Are you not the monsters? That's it. If you prick my hump, do I not bleed? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, that's been in a porno somewhere. Well, John, that just leads further into my belief that uh, he wouldn't be that terrifying, right? Fair. Okay. Wow. I just didn't go quite that. uh, I just went with Frankenstein because think about it. He's quiet. He just wants to be left alone, do his own thing. He's not making a lot of noise with church bells. He's not trying to hurt anybody. He's just doing his own little... And you know what? You give him cable... That dude's fine. You'll never hear from him. So I went, I went with Frankenstein. Now, if I had my druthers, I would want werewolves to move in, though. That would be my preferred choice as far as like 
the coolest neighbors, but you know, for like least offensive, least scary, definitely Frankenstein. Frankenstein's a great neighbor. So you have your first barbecue where you use a fire pit and then he freaks out and tears down your house. We only smoke our foods, so he'd never see it. <laughs> I think you're also going to run into some issues with the, uh, what's what's the local group that checks your like grass length and things like that? I feel like he would be a... HOA. Yeah, he'd probably be a big HOA violator. I don't know. I just don't think he would keep up with his chores. Or, you know, something else that might happen is you might have a bunch of uh, rioters show up with uh, flaming torches and pitchforks dude that's gonna be going on right next door that's only when he fucks with people and he's not gonna need to fuck with people he's got cable he's got a backyard you know he's good to go i don't think he fucked with anybody in that original movie he was just trying to chill and he was misunderstood much like our hunchback and then he got fucked with you know what i'm saying well he got he he interacted with people he he went out and like got you know like you know interacted with people that were like oh my god look at this monster you know he's gonna be inside he's gonna be a homebody man He's got no reason to go out and about. You know, he's got everything he needs with Amazon Prime now. He can order anything he wants. They can drop it off the doorstep with COVID protocols. There's contactless delivery. The man's got it. And you know what? Being the neighbor that I am, I would do his yard for him just to make sure the HOA stayed the fuck off Frankenstein's back. Because you know what? That dude, he's just doing him. And I respect that. That's nice, man. So whenever Amazon misdelivers to your house and he drops off the ratchet to tighten his neck bolts, you're going to go drop it off for him? Yeah, I'll give him a quick ring and I'll be like, yo, Frankie, man, I got your uh, I got your, uh, your power tools. I'm coming over. Hey, thank you. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how we doing today? We ready to kick this one out the house like a vampire who moved in and shouldn't be there? Yes. Well, okay, wait a second now. Who said the vampire shouldn't be there? He, He is the rightful owner of his home. He did buy it fair and square. Well, what if he's in your home? What if your mother invited him in for a Bloody Mary or two? Uh, you know, that's a, a really great question, in which case, yes, then I, I am ready to kick uh, said vampire out. Good. Well, to be fair, the first rule is don't spy on your neighbors, and this won't even be a problem. Yeah. Yeah, we got to get to that. I have a big problem with that, but we'll get there. I've mentioned it several times in several other episodes. If you own a telescope or binoculars, <laughs> you're by proxy a creep, because you aren't using those to look at the stars. It's true. It's true. Also, they were, that house was like, 10 feet away, you don't need binoculars to see what's going on in that window. (laughs) There was no yard between them. It was like bumped right up against the house. He just, buddy, you got glasses on? Can you not see the action, the steamy hot action right next door? Do do people, or did nobody in the 80s have curtains? Was did they not invent curtains yet? Oh, they did. They they had them. They existed for a long time. It's just the 80s was a time of non-curtaining. I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. But that being said, that segues us into good evening. Tonight we are talking about Fright Night. <gasps> did Peter Vincent just jump on our call? Fright Night. It is, it is I, Peter Vincent, the vampire killer, here to join you on the Grave Talk podcast. Wow, Pete. Yes. Well, before we get into that movie, Garrett, have you watched anything? John, have you watched anything new you want to bring up before we get into 1985's Fright Night? 
Um, I watched one movie. It's a Japanese film from 1999 called Audition. Oh, I have that one. I haven't watched it yet, though. Oh, it's rough. Worth it? It is. Wow. What a film. I don't want to spoil it, so I'm not going to go into any details, but I thought I was hard and like ready for, for horror movies. I'd watched a ton of these, but... I had to look away at points in this film. It is intense. So be prepared for that, Mark. So this is one of the ones I picked up. If you guys pay attention to iTunes, they always have sales and Arrow videos. Movies go on sale for three bucks like three times a month. I have like 57 Arrow movies that I haven't watched yet. <laughs> That's just one of them in the, in the queue there. This one's also on Shudder. Yeah, this is a Takashi Miki film. And if you're familiar with his work, um, you mm-hmm. to John's point, it is some rough shit <laughs> it's sometimes it's a uh, it's a little hard to watch but um the dude does what he does itchy the killer uh, among others he's really well known for yeah exactly cool. all right well it shook john to his core it sounds like so uh, i'm looking forward to that one now i didn't watch anything yet because i just recently got my shutter uh account fixed thank you customer service at shutter for uh, helping with that um so i finally got my account back up so now it is time to watch Amityville Horror 92, it's about time. All right. And review that for everybody. Um, But I did have two questions for John. One, yesterday while perusing iTunes, I saw a movie called The Host with Anthony Hopkins. And it keeps popping up in the horror section, but it's about like the Vatican and exorcism. Have you seen that movie? No, The Right. It's called The Right. I'm sorry, it's The Right. I went to see The Right, but walked out feeling wrong. Oh. I've seen this movie. I'm with Mark. It's it's a skip. Okay. Okay. I was just curious because I saw it and I was all like, is that Anthony Hopkins in like a Exorcist movie? And I was like, I've got to find out if John's seen this. It's set up to be amazing, but I just remember walking out of the theater feeling underwhelmed. So um, it wasn't great. It wasn't bad. It just didn't really leave an impression. And my second thing, it actually isn't a question. So I don't know why I said I had two questions for John. Uh, the second one is, is if you have not uh, checked out John's uh, The Conjuring Universe uh, mini episode, definitely do so. I finally got to sit down and rewatch that. The first time I watched it, I was doing some other stuff and I was kind of distracted. But um, I sat down and rewatched that. That was really good, man. Thank you. I like. I thought that was really solid, like from start to finish. And um, I, from what I've seen of that universe... I, I agree with your your ordering. Um, the only thing I would say is I think you went a little hard on the nun, uh, and I know we all hated the nun, but I think the nun, from a filmmaking standpoint, holds up a little bit better than maybe we give it credit for. As someone who's seen the nun three times now, oh shit, I assure you it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've seen it. I saw it the once in the theater. I just I, I I guess I'm remembering it wrong. Yeah, no, I totally get it. Like you, it's easy to remember. Like okay, it had some spooky visuals and a cool atmosphere. But if you watch it again, you'll be like, oh, right. This movie's trash and goes way off the rails pretty much immediately. Uh, That labyrinthian ending just nailed the coffin of that one and buried it with no bells to ring. I thought it was terrible. Yeah. And the more you watch it, the more like the story is just riddled with with plot holes. It's like a Swiss cheese film. So uh, it could have been so great, but it wasn't. Well, that's fine. I'm yielding to your expertise on it. I just wanted to give a shout out and just say that was a really like solid mini. So, well, thank you. Uh, keep them coming if you got them, man. All right. Well, if that's going to do it, let's get into today's movie by director Tom Holland. Fright Night from 1985. Tom Holland, also known for Child's Play. 
Spider-Man. Spider-Man, yes. <laughs> yes, you're right, John. So in my brain, this was a alternate universe, Peter Parker, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, who went back in time into the 60s and then eventually came to grips with living in the past and then made his mark on the horror universe with Fright Night and Child's Play. Makes sense. That's the only thing that makes sense because there's no way in the world there would be two Tom Hollands. That just doesn't happen. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Mark. He also did Thinner, which is, I think, a, a slept-on movie. I like Thinner. I rewatched it not that long ago, and uh, it holds up. That's the Stephen King one, right? Mm-hmm. Every time I think of Thinner, though, um, I always get it mixed up with The Machinist, with um, Dude from Batman. Christian Bale being his thinnest in that movie. You're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, so every time someone's like, oh, that movie Thinner by Stephen King, I'm always like, I immediately visualize um, Christian Bale from uh, The Machinist, and I'm always <laughs> like, I don't think that's the same movie. <laughs> it is not. Also <laughs> disturbing, though. That Machinist movie was pretty disturbing. All right. Well, this one, again, came out in 1985, stars Chris Sarandon as Jerry Dandridge. He was also in Child's Play and The Princess Bride. William Ragsdale as Charlie Brewster. He went on to do a bunch of TV. We got Amanda Bierce as Amy Peterson. She would go on to do Married with Children's Ms. Darcy or just Marcy. Is it Marcy Darcy? No, it's Darcy. Marcy. I thought it was Darcy. No, M. M. Okay. Marcy. 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 Yeah. I think it was Marcy. Uh, Roddy McDowell playing his second Vincent. He voiced Vincent in the black hole. He's also known for his role as Cornelius in the Planet of the Apes. He plays Peter Vincent. We've got Stephen Jeffries as Evil Ed. He would go on to be in 976 Evil, which I think, John, you said you saw that one. I still haven't checked that one out yet. Jonathan Stark plays manservant Billy Cole. And we've got Dorothy Fielding as Judy Brewster. I did like the fact that Jonathan Stark would go on to be in The House 2, The Second Story, because that name makes me roll my eyes every time I read it. Because it's <laughs> incredible. Uh, it's an incredible name. <laughs> well, one of uh, Jerry Dandridge's... Uh, Jerry Dandridge the Vampire. God, that name. Um, one of his, uh, his sidekicks was Chet from Weird Science. Did you guys notice that? I thought Chet was played by uh, Bill Paxton. Oh, is it? Oh, man. Am I a complete idiot and like getting this wrong? Dude, he looked just like that guy. Uh, he's pretty close for sure. Since you brought up Weird Science, Garrett, um, the kid who plays Evil Ed, he was actually, he auditioned to be Anthony Michael Hall's part in Weird Science, but his uh, audition went all wrong and then the uh, casting director remembered him and then offered him the part in this movie afterwards. Oh, that's pretty cool. And actually, yeah, you're right. It is not Chet from Weird Science, but that dude looks exactly like him. But um, yeah, yeah, no, honestly, I've got so much to say about evil in this movie. That character makes this film. Yes. Okay. We may be at odds then because I found him to be the most annoying part of the movie. <gasps> what? <laughs> uh, Mark. <laughs> Let me get all this stuff out of the way and we'll get into it. All right. Okay. Okay. Fright Night is sitting at a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 37 reviews and a 77% with the audience out of 49,698 reviews. This one was shot on a $9 million budget and went to gross $24.9 million. It would uh, produce a sequel afterwards. It wasn't really well. Um, it wasn't released worldwide. And then the talks of the third one fizzled out which I read was due to the Menendez murders back in the day. I guess the the dad was involved with the studio that was fun in those films. Oh, wow. Um, so that's pretty crazy. This is what the back of the Betamax has to say about Fright Night.
Meet Jerry Dandridge. He's sweet, sexy, and he likes to sleep in late. You might think he's the perfect neighbor, but before inviting Jerry in for a nightcap, there's just one thing you should know. Jerry prefers his drinks warm, red, and straight from the jugular. It's Fright Night, a horrific howl starring Chris Sarandon as the seductive vampire and William Ragsdale as the frantic teenager struggling to keep Jerry's deadly fangs out of his neck. Only 17-year-old Charlie Brewster knows Jerry's blood-curdling secret. When Charlie can't get anybody to believe him, he turns to a TV horror host, Peter Vincent, played by Roddy McDowell, who used to be the great vampire killer of the movies. Can these mortals save Charlie and his sweetheart Amy from the wrathful bloodsucker's toothy embrace? If you love being scared, Fright Night will give you the nightmare of your life. That's pretty good. I like I like that. It kind of it sells it, but it also like upsells it without like kind of, you know, bogging you down into the hyperbole of like, oh my God, you're going to be terrified. Yeah, I thought that was one of the better back of boxes that we've read on this show. Uh, of course, it was on a Betamax. They knew what they were doing back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a solid sell. I would, I would rent that based on that. Uh, this one clocks in at an hour and 46 minutes. Uh, what did you guys think of the length? We're normally pretty harsh on the lengths of these things. I'm going to continue my almost probably unbroken trend of saying, yeah, they could have cut some of this, especially near the end where it, I kept being like, really? Is this still going on? This same scene? They could have trimmed some of that. Yeah, I think some of the uh, the the dance scene in the club and then the, uh, the lovemaking scene or the sex scene or the what have you um, between Jerry and uh, Amy was a little bit... I don't know. I understand why it was there, but it was like, this is completely unnecessary to the plot. We get it. We don't even care about that aspect of it. We just want to see, you know, our boy go in and get his lady back. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie does one of the things a lot of 80s movies do where it's, you're dealing with high schoolers. And again, we've got the older adult like preying on the young girl. And it's like, man... This just wasn't a problem back then, was it? Yeah, that felt really weird. I was like, wait, is she supposed to be like 16? What is happening? They're in high school, dude. Yeah, that was super uncomfortable. Yeah, she clearly rides her bike from one end of town through the dregs of downtown with all the worst alleyways you could find to get to Charlie's house. That girl should have taken the bus. That's all I'm saying. Like, But yeah, this... This is a this is a continuing trend here that I guess just wasn't even thought about back then. I don't ever remember hearing it come up. I mean, I was like five, so I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> I mean, that was a pretty common thing with like a lot of like vampire lore and stuff like that, even before the 80s movies of like, you know, like the old the older vampire, you know, like kind of going after and lusting after like the young, beautiful woman. So I don't know if that's an 80s thing, but it definitely was very prevalent in the 80s. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk then about the characters then we've got peter vincent who is your vincent Price-esque character who's uh kind of a washed up actor he was a lot of low budget films and at this point in his career he's doing local tv being a horror host think elvira think zacherley or sven Gulli, one of those people or even a joe bob type characters who's introducing all these films but i got the impression that he's only introducing his own films is that right? Because he gets canned because he keeps showing the same vampire movies. Like, is he just promoting his own work on cable TV? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was just 
replaying his own filmography over and over again. <laughs> it's like, well, dog, you're going to get fired. If you got to, you got to change it up. People are going to stop tuning in when we watch vampire killer 13 for the 37th time. Hey, the, the fans know what they want. That's all I'm saying. I mean, you're not wrong, but I, I absolutely love Roddy McDowell in this, in this role. He, I think he brings a lot of gravitas to the character and he does a really good job of playing a guy who thinks he can act but it's that classically bad acting style that, ho, ho, come at me, monster. You know, that shit. Yeah. Uh, I think he just nails it. You mean kind of like my vampire intro I did earlier? Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> just like that. <laughs> he also looks like he's covered in baby powder throughout the whole film. Yeah, okay. I thought that I was like, wow, he is weirdly pale. And like, I couldn't figure out what it was, but maybe that's it. Maybe he just likes to, you know, throw some baby powder on every morning. He gets <laughs> rashes really easily. <laughs> it's garlic powder, you guys. That's how he keeps the vampires away. Uh, yeah, it just needs a light dusting every morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, maybe it's a garlic powder. He, he goes to the kitchen and sprinkles himself in garlic, garlic powder every morning. You cracked the code. I know, I did. <laughs> Wait, did you just say I did? Motherfucker, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mark, the credit stealer. Mark's like, did you guys know I was in The Godfather? <laughs> that was all me, baby. Look, I'm not afraid to ape stuff. When I like something, I take it. I add it to the repertoire, all right? I think he did a great job in this role as well. Uh, to your point, Mark, he did. I think acting bad, like a good actor acting bad is probably really hard to do without coming across like cheesy or dumb, and he managed to nail it. So I was I was impressed considering the quality of some of the other acting in this film. Yeah, and especially when he like turns off that persona that he's playing the the Peter Vincent character, like and actually starts playing the the guy who's now scared because he realizes that the vampires were real and stuff like that. I you know, that that contrast between his bad acting versus like how he normally acts in the movie, I thought was really well done too. He switches it up like on a dime and it was like so great to see him like drop that shtick and then kind of like fall right into like just being a really good actor for the film itself. Agreed. And it, and it really amps it up when you consider this role was originally written for Vincent Price, but he was, ta- he was turning down roles at this point because he'd become so typecasted that he didn't want to do this kind of stuff anymore. Um, his name is actually a mashup of Peter Cushing, who most people know him from Star Wars as Grand Moff Tarkin. Um, Peter did a lot of vampire movies and stuff in the in the old days. Uh, and then, of course, Vincent Price. So you get Peter Vincent. Well, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Okay, so go ahead and make your pitch why apparently Evil Ed is the glue of this movie. I want to hear it. Okay. Strap in, listeners, because it's about to get real. Okay, so... This is the thing about Ed's character, or evil, if you will. Yes, he's over the top. And yes, he is definitely like, you know, not so much the comic relief, but his character is played very, you know, comedic in the fact that it's like very exaggerated, very over the top, almost kind of like ridiculous in his nature. But the thing is, when you look at the character and how he like responds, not just acts, but like like how he mentally comprehends the situations around him and how he responds to them. He never breaks that. So this is not just a, like, oh, I'm going to be wacky with it. Like, this is how this character lives and breathes day to day. Ed just, you know, he never drops that. From start to finish, it seems like he's just enjoying his life. Now, he's got his problems. He's a very tragic character in the grand scheme of things. But, like, you know, like, he never breaks from his character this entire film. And every time he does pop a little zany onto anything, you know, it's it's more just like whipped cream on top of a sundae. It's never so much that it makes you not want to eat. And sometimes it is like, like, oh man, he is really into this or man, he is really out there. That's crazy. But it's never like, it's he's never out there or crazy or, you know, ridiculous. 
to a degree that does not make sense for his character. So I thought that was great. And then when he does actually react, it's a complete, like, wonderful, like, black and white to what our main, like, kind of bland characters are like, oh, my God, that's so that's so terrible. Or I can't believe someone would be a vampire. And he's just like, no, I get it. That's cool. They're going to go through this whole town and eat everything. No loss. Awesome. You know, like, it just it just makes sense. And from start to finish, even his, like, death scene when he hams it up, which I have a lot of questions about that death scene. But, um, like... It, he just never drops it and I gotta I gotta respect that and all his one-liners all his like little like you know moments when he goes and meets um Peter Vincent by himself and gets burned by the cross that was just so good because it like you you could feel that that's exactly what that character would do if, if even if there wasn't a camera in place that's exactly what that character would do and I, I thought he did an amazing job with it so that is a well-reasoned well thought out defense of evil uh mark my reasoning is just that he says the best line of the film, right? You're so cool, Brewster, or whatever. Uh, however he says it, I cannot do a char- or an Ed accent. Uh, but that was it. That, I was like, all right, I'm in love with this character. Are you talking about the time he, that ends this movie? He says it twice, right? Yeah, uh, I think at, at least twice, maybe three times. And honestly, I wish he said it three more times. Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. <laughs> I can't stand it. Hmm. If that was all he said, I'd probably like him more. And Garrett, everything you said isn't wrong. I think he does a very good job of portraying that character. But to me, he just comes off as that third wheel, the fifth wheel, the 18th, 19th wheel of a group of friends who just doesn't know quite how to react. And and everything he says is often weird. And like, he's just, he just sticks out. So every time he would say something, I'm just like, what? That? Why did... Why is that good? And then like when he was being an asshole down the alleyway, it's like, well, bro, now I don't really feel that bad for you because you, you know, you're, I, I don't even know, is Charlie and Ed friends or he literally just went to Ed because he's the weirdest kid in school who knows about this stuff, about horror and, and vampires. I think there's a little friendship there. Yeah, it's ill-defined, I would say. I don't, they're obviously not strangers. I think maybe, you know, Ed would call Charlie his best friend, but I don't know that Charlie would call Ed his best friend. That's my guess. I don't even know if Ed would call Charlie his best friend. I don't know if Ed sees things as this is my best friend. I think Ed just sees things as this is the person or situation I'm interacting with at this time. Like he's just he's just doing him to such a degree that when he says things like you said, Mark, that seem like awkward or when he does that gag in the alleyway with the um, the, the fake you know, the ketchup packets and stuff like that. I don't think he sees that as being a dick or even being nice. I just think he sees that as like, this would be a funny thing for me to do. I think he's probably on the spectrum of some some degree here. But like, you know, everything he does, it's not like malicious or from a place of like kindness. Even when uh, when Charlie goes to Ed and basically says, hey, man, how do I fight a vampire? He's not like, you know, like, oh, well, because we're buds, let me tell you. He's just like, why? Sh- what? What do you like? He just... There's no, I don't know. It just seems like there's no malicious or, you know, like caring intent between anything he does. And it's more just like he's just rolling through life. I appreciate your argument for him. And that does soften him up a little bit in my eyes. But I think what I was expecting, and maybe that's on me, I was expecting more of the sidekick character of, say, like Night of the Creeps. You know, he's still a little awkward, but you like him. There wasn't a lot to like about Ed, I guess. Does that make sense? That's what's so tragic about Ed is like, you know, like when they're talking about the murders on TV. You know what I heard on the police band last night? That wasn't the only murder. 
second in two days. And get this. Both of them had their heads chopped off. <laughs> Can you believe it? You're sick. <laughs> like, yeah, that's kind of fucked up and like completely out of place right now. You should, I mean, that's inappropriate at this time. But like for him, that's just how he he sees it and responds. Um, later on, when he gets the opportunity to become a vampire, you know, like it plays to his sense of like never belonging, not feeling like he ever is appropriate in any situation. I don't know. It really kind of like pulls that, like that outsider um, kind of feeling that he probably has, that he probably has day to day, like just living his life. It, it really like kind of preys on that and allows him access to it because when he becomes a vampire, dude, look how happy and stoked he is to basically like have that, those powers, that situation to feel like he belongs to something. And then to see it also like kind of turned against him so quickly with when Peter, you know, Vincent, like, hits the cross on his head, he just, he he reverts back to this, like, kind of lost puppy kind of, you know, persona. And it, again, everything about that character, I'm not saying he's super likable. I don't think anyone's going to be like, yo, I love that character because, like, he's the best. I think it's just, like, he's such a great, tragic, defined character in this movie that I was like, oh, man, I really felt for him every step of the way. I wonder how much of this character was a reflection of maybe Tom Holland's perception of the average horror fan in the 80s. You know what I mean? Like coming off as kind of the weird kid in class who's into horror movies, doesn't really know how to maybe be socially correct in a lot of instances. Maybe that maybe that's kind of the driving line behind this character. That's a great call out because I wonder, because um, in the 80s, I mean... Horror, that's where horror kind of really took root as being more mainstream, if I, if I remember correctly, right? I think that's when it really amped up and it got like fandom. I mean, of course, I wasn't alive in the 70s, so I can't say that for certain, but it seems like it was amplified for sure. Yeah, that, that's a good point. That may very well be a, you know, a, a representation of kind of like the mindset and the feel of, you know, what it was like to be a horror fan back then. Who knows? And speaking of that, let's talk about Charlie. He's our main protagonist, our uh, average Joe. He's uh, in a relationship with Amy, and they're uh, apparently been doing a lot of necking while the Night Fright... What did I just say? Night Fright. When Fright Night is airing on like Friday nights or whatever... And that's how this movie kicks off, actually, is like we're, we're seeing a Peter Vincent movie and we're hearing the most over-the-top smooching, necking sounds that I've ever heard in a movie. Charlie confuses me because as someone who was a teenage boy, I don't believe his actions are representative of what a teenage boy would do uh, in said situations that he is in. He is very quick to uh, stop uh, making out with his girlfriend to look out the window at strangers for no reason. Just not buying it. No, especially when he's been so gung-ho just minutes before and gets upset. He's like, Amy, we've been playing it safe for a year. When's it going to be my time? Gah. Yeah, and then she's like, all right, I'm DTF. And he's like, shh, I'm looking out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I'm glad to hear that you were at once a teenage boy because, Mark, I would also assume that at some point in your life you were a teenage boy as well. And I myself, from personal experience, can say that I also was a teenage boy at one point. And I can say as someone who had no game, missed all the signs, was just completely a dud with the ladies for the longest time. I can tell you this. If presented with the situation that he was in, I would not have turned away. Like, the thing is, is like up to that point, I may have missed the signs. But once you're at that point, there's no like misreading the situation, especially after you said, Mark, he totally like 
peer pressure, like like guilt trips her into actually wanting to do something. So it's like, yeah, at the moment he gets his way, he's like, cool. I exerted my power. I'm out. And it's like, that's so weird. It, there wasn't even like signs. She was like, Charlie, all right, I'm down to make love. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. He could. She was like so front upfront about it. And my man could not have cared less all of a sudden. No, the teenager brain is so coated in hormones that there are certain words and phrases and pheromones that would just, <laughs> you know, waft over his shoulder and be like, there's a shirtless girl behind me, isn't there? Like you would just immediately turn like... There's no possible way. I don't care if the next door neighbors are carrying a coffin downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to be alert and ready to go. That's when you go, come here, baby. Let's fuck in the windowsill. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'd be like, I'm going to have to check that out later and like file it away. But like it just totally engrossed every amount of attention he had. Ugh. They could have probably come up with a better intro. <laughs> that was such a weird moment because it was like, you're right. The moment he gets what he wants, he's like, I'm good. And you're just like, I don't think that's what would happen. Right. And then she immediately gets pissed off, which I get all of a sudden, like she's like, here I am. Mm-hmm. And then like, oh, what's going on out there? Complete diss. And then she like leaves the house angry. And I guess her mom is like, whatever. Here I am, signed, sealed, <laughs> delivered, I'm yours. I mean, right from her perspective, poor Marcy, she is like putting herself out there and her boyfriend would rather look at nothing than her. <laughs> that's got to that's be a blow to the self-esteem. John, let's go ahead and call her Amy from now on because listeners might get confused if we keep calling her by her married with children named Marcy. In my mind, this is Marcy's prequel. This is her story. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that too. So, uh, but fine. I will call her Amy. You might as well because she didn't return for the sequel because she was doing Married with Children at that point. Yeah. She grew up, married Steve, and went on and lived an unhappy life. But this, okay, so this scene though leads way to one of my favorite 80s horror movie moments ever. Like she's, they're walking downstairs, like Amy leaves the room like in a huff and then, um, Charlie follows like oh Amy wait don't go and she's like they're on the stairs they're almost at the the bottom of the stairs she's like look Charlie I was ready to fuck you upstairs and all you want to do is look out the window blah 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 I'm right here I was half naked and then the mom goes hi kids problems and it was like (laughs) no parent has ever been like oh it's just my child having a conversation about fucking up in their bedroom and been like I'm cool with this like just it was the weirdest moment yeah that mom man she is a interesting character like later charlie's like i was having a nightmare and she's like oh do you want a valium i'm like damn lady (laughs) (laughs) this is the parent i dreamed of having when i was a kid the strictness couldn't watch rated r movies couldn't watch pg-13 till i was 13 yeah i don't even know how you would live under this mother i would probably have died on crack cocaine and heroin by seven (laughs) (laughs) well not only that there's a point when like the new neighbor moves in we'll get to that you know and then um a prostitute a very sexy woman gets out of a car and goes is this such and such house? And he goes, no, that's next door. They walk in and the mom goes like, oh, the new neighbor has like a handyman. He's probably gay. And then the son goes, I wouldn't be so sure about that. She's like, what do you know that I don't? Like, she's immediately like, tell me everything I need to know to get fucked here. And you're just like, God, calm down, mom. Yeah, they had such a weird, that was such a weird but cool character. Yeah, there's. I think there's a little bit of parallel there between this mother and the mother from Lost Boys, the single mother, you know, out to find somebody. Um, this one has a bit of a more loose approach, I suppose. 
Look, every character in this movie knows what they want and they know what they're going after. Except Charlie. Yeah. Except Charlie. He wavers so much. He's, he doesn't really like commit to anything until after like he's like, I got. I guess I got to do this now. Yeah. I mean, I really have like a lot of questions about Charlie's motivation. Like, why is he so obsessed with killing this vampire? I mean, I get it because like he murders and he's a murderer. Eventually, they have a confrontation, right? And the vampire is like, "Look, if you just leave me alone, I'll leave you alone." What do you say, deal? Charlie's like, "No, I'm not taking that deal." But it's like, dude, he can kill you and your mom and everyone you love. Like, how about you just say yes and move on with your life? But no. Charlie is a man on a mission. I feel like presented in that moment, I would have taken the deal, especially not knowing, and we'll get to Jerry Dandridge in just a minute. Jerry Dandridge. (laughs) Not knowing much about him. I would have been scared out of my mind if, you know, he approached me like that and be like, all right, fucking deal, bro. I got a vampire buddy now. Hey, man, you know, like, uh, come on over for fruit because you fucking eat the shit out of some fruit. I got a whole <laughs> cornucopia back here, buddy. We're we're, we're, we're best friends. <laughs> I got two things to say about that. Even if, number one, even if you're not going to keep that deal long term and you're just saying it to like, you know, like be OK for the time being. Don't basically like to his face. He was like, no, fuck you. I'm coming for you. And it's like he like tells him flat out like, nope. And it's like, no, at least say yes. And then go figure out a plan to like, you know, get the vampire later. But right. he's not even smart enough to do that. The second thing is, is I was reading the reason Chris Sarandon, he made that choice himself to eat so much fruit because he said that his bat version was probably part fruit bat. All right. Interesting. <laughs> I, I I accept it and I like it. I You know what I mean? I, yeah. I'm into that. Do it. Do your thing. Eat some fruit and drink your blood. Why not? But yeah, no. And also this movie incorporates something that, uh, John, I thought you'd be interested to know. It incorporates bat vision. Now, let me put the distinction here. I do not find bat vision as annoying as monster vision. Interesting distinction. I just assumed it was all monster vision. Yeah, I, I don't. For some reason, when it's a bat, when we're flying as a bat, it never bothers me. When we're flying as the Lost Boys, it does not bother me. It's the moment we go into like weird... I guess it's the tint that they use on the screen of like, you know, the weird, like you're seeing through the monster's eye type thing. I think that's what bothers me the most because, um, and Tremors, I didn't have a problem too much in Tremors because um, I I guess it's when they they do something like color or distortion wise on the camera to make it like we're in monster vision. I guess that's what it is for me. I I realized that while watching this movie, I was like, I don't mind this. Okay. So not so much anti-monster vision anti-tint yeah yes i'm, I'm anti-tinting uh, the screen of any kind certain colors make garrett angry uh, that does remind me somehow but we forgot to talk about the most important part of this movie before we get to the plot and that is does the soundtrack slap oh you're gonna go right to my fucking crux of this goddamn movie john okay okay you say your bit and i'll say mine wait the soundtrack is the crux of the movie for you <laughs> Okay. Well, yes. Okay. Maybe not the crux, but it it made me very upset. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) What? Oh, this soundtrack slaps, man. I was digging it. There you have it, folks. This soundtrack slaps. All right, Mark. Counterpoint. Now, John, did you sit through the ending credits where we got the titular Fright Night theme song? Uh, no, um, because I'm a bad movie watcher, as soon as credits start, I stop watching the movie. Okay, well, this theme song is so fucking bad, it sent me on a 30-minute YouTube Wikipedia hole where I was like, who did this and who's responsible for this? (laughs) 
the theme song was written and I put I'm going to say this in quotation the composition was written by a man named Joe Lamont who basically has a third grade writing level here are the lyrics to this <clears throat> who's it going to be tonight time to lock your windows tight soon we'll all believe I'm right who's it going to be tonight woo we're in for the most frightening night and that is trash I wrote better things in sixth grade. What more do you need in a chorus? And I assume, based on the rest of the music, it had a real cool synthy uh, backing track to it. Well, John, are you familiar with the band, the Jay Gales Band? The Jay Giles Band. I'm sorry, the Jay Giles Band. They're famous for that song, Centerfold and Freeze Frame. No. Is anybody? These are all pretty big hits. This is the band that performed this. Okay. Only their lead singer left the band before the last album, and this track was the last thing this band produced before they broke up with a new singer. Wow. Now, do you think, are you implying this track is what broke the band up? I Probably, yes. <laughs> I think it's directly responsible um, as for Joe Lamont, he would go on to make a couple more probably shitty songs <laughs> that appeared in one of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, um, I believe the third or fourth one, and then he would actually get a big hit in the Philippines. So I guess he's... <laughs> I'm so flustered right now because of this song. I can't believe... Okay, everything else slaps. This song does not, okay? Can we agree to that? I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm going to go ahead and pre-agree to that. Um, I was, the, the music in the film slaps i did not get to the credits i definitely didn't get to the end of the credits now do you think mark they knew this song sucked and that's why they hid it away as the last song at the in the credits i'll answer that <clears throat> the answer is yes <laughs> it's the same thing they did with that movie my mom is a werewolf and they had that song you bring out the werewolf in me holy shit now that is a terrible terrible during the credit song listen to that shit at some point and then just be thankful that you avoided that fucking career um no offense to that person who wrote it because i don't know you personally but that that i understand mark because that song did the same thing for me that this song did for you and it almost ruined the entire film for me okay at least you can empathize with my position all right music rant over uh we can go back to the film so just to kind of catch us up, Charlie is necking in his bedroom. The neighbors move in and we see a, a, a people bring a coffin in through the outside cellar doors. Charlie's all tripped up on it and he's now laser focused in and um, he's ignoring his girlfriend. And it's next day in the school and Amy's like, I feel like Amy's willing to go ahead and let's let's get over this and keep moving. But then the news I don't know. Did you guys have televisions in your cafeteria? Because I sure as hell didn't. Nope. But it's playing the news on there and they find out there's murders happening. Nope. Never had that. Yeah. Also, even if we did, there's no way cafeterias would have been quiet enough to hear what was being said on the TV, <laughs> short of being right underneath it. You're having minimum 100 teenagers in one room. It's going to be so loud. Um, so... 
points off for realism fright night and they're not going to have it on cnn either yeah that's true too no cable they're going to have local in school news probably right yeah it'd be the student council uh today we're having mystery meat so don't (laughs) eat it you know that would be on the tv Mark, I want to take a moment real quick just to, to pull us back for just a second, because I know you had a big problem with the soundtrack, and John thought it slapped. Now, did you know the composer for this movie was the same guy that did the Terminator movies? I did not. N- no. Yeah, Brad Fidel. Yeah, and the reason he was... Um, Tom Holland liked what Brad Fidel did so much with the Terminator movie that he wanted him on this movie to compose the soundtrack for it. Look at that. I'm glad to see this man's career is so solid because he knows how to make soundtracks that slap. You should let him do the theme song. Do, 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 Fright Night. Oh. Do, 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 Fright Night. <laughs> <laughs> I would bang that in my car so loud, dude. That is the crossover. We Girl talk, get on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Yeah, so Amy, Amy clearly is still upset because Charlie's paying her no mind. He's still got his head wrapped into this coffin murder scenario he's got playing out in his brain, so she's pissed off. He goes home, and as mentioned, he sees this hot blonde roll up in a taxi cab, and he directs her to her death. Says, over there is where you're going to get killed. I'll see you later tonight through my window when I'm creeping on you. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> and uh, he goes about his business. He's doing homework. And then he looks outside the window. And then we get old Carlito is getting himself a peep show. And he's not too upset about it either. He's got a grin on his face. I mean, it was the 80s. What are you going to do? As we discussed, they hadn't invented uh, curtains yet. So what else was he going to do? Well, they did because at, at one point when like... Um uh, Jerry Dandridge the vampire I'm gonna keep calling him Jerry Dandridge because that is the stupidest fucking name for an old ass vampire um, season that he's he's peeping through the window with fucking binoculars he goes and pulls the blinds down now first off the woman who is getting like necked on about to get eaten and stuff like that looks out the window at one point and I swear to god she saw Charlie and was like yeah I'm cool with this and then later on when Jerry like sees it, that's when he goes and closes the blind. But holy shit. Yeah, that was so weird because like, you know, Charlie's just like full on. He's not even backing up. He's not in the shadows. He's just right in the window, just like with binoculars 10 feet away. Yeah, it's safe to say Charlie's the worst peeping Tom ever. He is real shit at it. <laughs> he may as well be wearing like a fluorescent vest, you know, like the traffic vest. He just seems to want to be caught. With the lit up batons. Hey, over here. Check me out. <laughs> exactly. Just spying over here. Yeah. Well, as this is unfolding, um, he realizes that uh, this guy's a vampire. Jerry Dandridge, his neighbor, has got long, creepy fingernails. He busts out the teeth and he bites the neck of this woman and he just locks eyes with Charlie. And he's like, okay, you know what's going on. I have to deal with you later. So legit question is claw fingers a vampire trait or did they make that up for this movie because i feel like i don't remember claws being a big vampire thing uh nosferatu had that oh that's true okay okay i see the homage let's take a moment to because you guys know vampires are probably my least favorite classic monster but this movie i thought did an amazing job of hitting all the known vampire lore like every aspect of it was present in this movie we had the the glamoring we had the um you know the flight the bat we had you know the steak you know i mean it was the turning into a familiar which 
I didn't realize was a vampire thing until I did some research because I was like, why the fuck does evil turn into a werewolf at one point? But then I found out that's something vampires can do too. They can turn into like creatures of the night. Yeah. So let's talk about Jerry Dandridge. Now that we've gotten to Jerry Dandridge, let's open it up to Jerry Dandridge hour and um, let's see. Let's we'll, we'll we'll rate his powers. We'll determine on a scale of Renfield from Dead and Loving It to the Vampires in Thirty Days a Night. Where does Jerry Dandridge rate on the vampire meter? Oh, that's a good question. I want to start by saying I am glad they didn't uh, skip out on the bat thing. That so often happens in vampire movies where they can't figure out the whole how do we make him be a bat this movie just totally went with it they're like he's gonna be a bat that's how we're gonna do it and i respect that right so jerry's uh super he's super strong right we see him throw charlie through his closet he's got um the shape shifting of his appearance right so he looks human and then he'll do that thing where he looks more gross um as i guess he releases his concentration or something right I don't know, because he gets stabbed in the hand, and then all of a sudden he looks nasty. I assumed like he's having to control that. I agree. Um, he can float. He can also float in his human form. He's got cool red eyes. As Garrett said, his glamour. I called it the smarm charm because, dude, he's <laughs> smarming it up every time he's doing this weird glamour effect. Um, and then, yeah, like Garrett said, he turns in uh, evil, ends up turning into a werewolf, which I just assume... Uh, suburbanite Jerry Dandridge would also be able to do since he made evil. Are we missing anything or did that um, wrap in all the vampire powers you can think of? Well, I'm going to get technical with you here. He doesn't turn into a, a werewolf. He just turns into a wolf. Um, now, there's a very big distinction between the two because, again, once I found this out was an actual vampire power, I was like, this is bullshit. You can't just give the vampires all the powers of the other monsters just to try to make them better. That's fucking garbage. So I did a little research and they can actually turn into two small creatures of the night, but they're not actually like uh, beholden to the the werewolf like the moon turns them into the full moon turns them in so there's there's rules for each one and they can't actually turn into like a full-size werewolf monster they just turn into a wolf is what i was reading so just to throw that nitpick thing in there just the the i guess the only other instance that i am aware of of a vampire turning into a wolf would actually be from castlevania symphony of the night Alucard, son of Dracula, can turn into a wolf at some point. So it wasn't that off. When I saw that, I was like, okay, I guess that's a thing. And I just kind of accepted it. That's cool. Now, now one thing that happens in this movie a lot that drives me crazy about vampires, and it's, I, I, I get it, it's effective, but it's so cheap for me now and so cheesy, is when a vampire picks someone up by the neck and lifts them up in the air and then has a conversation with them. I'm like, we get it. You're strong. Like, you don't have to... The throat hold up in the air is like so, <laughs> I don't know. I'm so tired of it. I can I can take or leave that at that to this point. I have a gazillion questions about the logistics of holding someone up by their throat with one hand. And if I imagine that would cause significant long-term injury. <laughs> I don't think your neck's meant to hold your weight. Everyone just bounces back from that with breath being the only damage consider this i mean now this could be just because i'm getting old but i have one bad night of sleep and my neck hurts for like a week and a half mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> getting held up by my neck i imagine i would never be able to turn my head again what you don't know is john is actually talking about this right now while drinking a sustical and checking the luby's early bird special menu <laughs> uh her tradition at the end of every podcast i go to luby's uh i want Bland, saltless food, please. That's how I recharge. Hey, hey, you you be careful. 
I'm a Luby's fanatic over here, and their fish is delicious, okay? So you back off. I, I got to get there before 8 o'clock, because that's when they close, though. Oh, yeah. And I personally just love bland, saltless food, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm there with you. There was a brief moment where we thought Luby's, now a true real-life horror, was going to go bankrupt, but it got saved by another restaurant, so Luby's is safe. Oh, Oof. there's a happy ending to this story. Thank you, John. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, my wife was kind enough to tell me because she knows the interest I take in Luby's uh, <laughs> that it was it was safe. Show us that Luby's tattoo. I love the fact that this podcast has descended into madness at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to, John, to your point, yes. The thing is, is when you when, when people were hung back in the day by their necks from a noose, that killed them. <laughs> right. <laughs> like you know like you died from that and like they they do the same thing with their hands it's like i imagine you would have the same exact effect i mean you know being up there that long having a conversation you you got to sustain some major damage totally agree maybe he just has really 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 soft pillowy hands that really just kind of <laughs> you know embrace the neck you know a little bit more than a coarse dead zombie hand i mean maybe here's my plea if we have any chiropractors who listen to us Please tweet, email, let me know. What what do you think? What's your professional opinion on spine health after being lifted by your neck and then oftentimes flung via your neck? Um, I, I, I need an expert's opinion to figure out, you know, can, what happens to the human body. Tell me about my vertebrae. I'm going to take it a step further, John. If Even if you're not a chiropractor listening to this, <laughs> get your insurance, book an appointment with a chiropractor, go in. When they ask you what you're there for, say, I have questions about vampire logistics. <laughs> ask them if holding someone up by the neck like that would basically cause any kind of sustainable da mm -hmm. damage. If so, what kind of damage? And if they could document that for us in some kind of, you know, certified note, send that to us via email or the social media so we can verify this information. <laughs> but yeah, spend your hard-earned money basically booking an appointment to find this out for us because, you know, we're not going to do it ourselves. So, oh, you know, yeah. we're look, we make this podcast for you. You need to do something for us now. I'm going to take that a step, step further and say enroll yourself into <laughs> chiropractic school. <laughs> Get yourself a degree, figure out what the answer is, and get back to us in four years plus. Make sure to keep that GPA up. Whoa, that escalated quickly. Yeah. So I support all of that or lie. It's the internet. We don't know. So just tell us you're a chiropractor. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> just make it up. Tell yeah. us what we want to hear. Whatever you want to do, just get at us. We're desperate for attention. <laughs> One last power that I noticed that uh, Suburbanite Jerry Dandridge has is that he can super growl, yell, glowy breath at Charlie. Did you guys see that? Where he just like yelled at him and Charlie lit up in blue and like blew back towards the window. And I was like, what has he got? Superman breath? No idea what the fuck that was. It's the power of gingivitis. <laughs> that is what that was. <laughs> Listerine. Yeah. Suburbanite Jerry Dandruff does not floss. So You call them, you call them Suburbanite Jerry Dandruff. <laughs> <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> That's what I hear every time we say his name. I just love how stupid that name is. Because, I mean, the thing is that it's like Lestat, Armand, um, Vlad, you know, like all these. It's like Jerry Dandruff or Jerry Dandridge. Sorry, now I'm calling him Jerry Dandruff. <laughs> oh, man. I love how dumb that name was. Brood members Stephen and Henry would like to welcome Jerry to the Hillsdale chapter of Blood Guzzlers. We meet down at Sally's Pub every Tuesday for beer nuts and Bloody Marys, but here's the kicker, eh? It's real blood in them Bloody Marys, don't you know? Yeah, okay. Now let's talk about Jerry Dandridge and his role in this movie. 
I think he's kind of a shit vampire, you guys. Yeah, I agree. There, I said it. I don't care who knows it. <laughs> yeah, uh, whatever. I'm putting it out there for the world to hear. I'm going to say that we know that and other vampires know that because no vampire is volu- like is going to suburban America by choice. Vampires are an urban creature if they can. I think, here's my backstory for Jerry. Other vampires banished him. They're like, Jerry, you're fucking it up. You're a shit vampire. You're ruining it for the rest of us. Go. Go to suburbia. Go bother the, the, the norms out there. Ooh, he was an Ed Evil character and his own friends. And they they were like, he got turned into a vampire. And he was like, they're like, oh, God, this guy. He's always saying the wrong thing, being awkward at these vampire events. They're like, you're out, dude. You got to go. <clears throat> and yeah. that's why he saw something and, in Ed and was like, you know what? I get where this kid's coming from. Do you want to be a vampire, bro? Ladies and gentlemen, we've got some headcanon. We fixed it. We fixed the shit vampire. <laughs> um, okay, so do you think... Now, uh, let, let's let's headcanon some more Jerry backstory, okay? How long do you think he's been a vampire? And do you think he assumed the name Jerry because he thought it was cool? God, I hope not. I fucking hope not. So, okay. He has been a vampire at least long enough so that he loves someone who he has a painting of. So that has got to be 19th century. So maybe let's say 100, 150 years. So he's he's not a new vampire, but, you know, he's not uh, one of the elder pyres. Yeah, he's young money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, he's Nuevo Vampire. <laughs> now, as for the name Jerry, I believe when you become a vampire and, you know, let's say you naturally are supposed to die... The vampire committee comes together and gives you a new identity and they're like, all right, dude, you're definitely a Jerry. And they assigned him the name Jerry probably right before they kicked him out of the club to suburbia. Maybe or maybe Jerry's a nickname that he was just desperately trying to get to stick. And he finally was like, I got to move away to get this name to take because no one's calling me Jerry in my old areas. Oh, yeah. He's sick of being called Gerald. Oh, He's like, guys, shit. I'm a Jerry, okay? Gerald is so played right now. You're like, you're, you're a Gerald and you know it. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here's what? After Gerald Ford, he's like, look, I could to be a Jerry now. I don't want to be connected to Ford. So <laughs> I'm tying it all together here. I think I think he did. I agree with you, uh, Garrett. I, I believe he is trying to get out of Gerald and become Jerry. Oh, man. Is that like getting out of Dodge? Escaping Gerald. I have a question that came up the other day, just like through normal talking with some people. When you become a vampire, do you stay the the same exact? Now, I know um, Interview with a Vampire would have us believe that, you know, whenever you get turned, that's what you look like no matter what. Um, but with like normal vampire lore, do you just look and stay exactly the same as you do when you're turned? So like if I'm, you know, rocking a 235 poundage, you know, and I become a vampire and then I like start busting my ass at the gym. Can I get down to like a felt like 170 or am I stuck at 235 forever? I think that it really only depends like the age. Your age is going to stay the same. Now, if you can get fat and skinny or buff or not, I think you can probably change that. Does that make sense? Okay, if any of our listeners are out there are vampires and want to let us know or want to go to vampire school and become vampires, uh, that's one thing I was always curious about because like I know like in some lore, like you look exactly how you look. And I know like with Interview with a Vampire, that little girl cuts her hair off and the hair grows back instantly because that's the she's got to look that way forever. 
Um, and I know that might just be like unique to that movie, but I was always curious about that. It's like, can you like get fat or slim down, you know, as a vampire? You know, the, do you have to be worried about your health as a vampire? Hmm. I'm assuming you have to watch out for like blood based, like, you know, diseases and STDs and stuff like that. Cause I'm sure that would wreak havoc with your system if you were to ingest that kind of blood. But, but at the same time, does it? I don't think so. I don't know. Like, is your body immune to that stuff at that point? I think from what I, you know, can know of vampires. Now, I'm not a, a vampire expert, uh, but I think I'm, uh, you know, familiar with, uh, with, with pyre lore. I believe you don't have to worry about blood-based diseases or anything like that because you're already dead. I also don't think you can get fat. I feel like you've never seen a fat vampire. How many humans do you have to kill to be a fat vampire? Uh, I don't think that's a possibility. How many calories is in blood? Mm. I want to see a fat vampire. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, like, where's where's my fat vampires at? Yeah, really. Let's get some diversity in vampire body shape. Exactly. Let's get all let's get some women, some men, all different ethnicities, genders, body types, you know, like ugh, vampires are so exclusive. Well, wasn't um, wasn't there a fat vampire in Blade? Oh, I don't know. Was there? I remember a very large creature. Uh, uh, man, I don't remember. I haven't seen Blade in 20 years, but I think there was a fat vampire on Blade, dude. I think. Okay. All right. The only thing I remember about Blade is the best Wesley Snipes line of all time. Some motherfuckers are always trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> John, you were a national treasure, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that is the best thing that has came out of Blade, to be honest. So A quick Google search reveals that there was a fat vampire named Pearl. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Now let's talk about Fright Night because we still got to get through this. Charlie's seen uh, Jerry do some vampire-esque shit and he's like more and more like, I've got to put a stop to this because I can't have a vampire next to me. So he goes to evil and he's like, hey, how do I how do I fight vampires? How do I protect myself from a vampire? And evil's like, like just kind of thinks he's a little nuts, but never second guesses it and gives him all the information he needs, you know, put garlic, you know, have crosses we cut back to the house. And now this is the part where like the next, he's like, he's like, okay, I'm going to do something about the guy next door. This is the the time when the mother has invited Jerry in. So, cause the thing is like, you know, like Charlie thought he was safe in his house at least. But at this point, the mom has invited Jerry in and given him permission to come over whenever he wants. So now the vampire can come into the house whenever it damn well pleases. And so there's a whole interaction where, um, you know, as you said earlier, the Jerry and Charlie have like a little bit of a confrontation. He's just like, you leave me the fuck alone or else I'm going to make your life a living goddamn hell. And, you know, Charlie being the smart guy that he is, is like, nope, can't do it. Fuck you. He's decided he's got to take Jerry out. Right. And Charlie stabs him in the hand with a pencil and he flips out and jumps out the window. And then he makes, and I actually really love that part because he called him on the phone and he's looking at him through the window. He got peeped on earlier. He's like, hey, Charlie, I broke your car. And you're fucking next, bro. And Charlie freaks out. I was like, all right, that's pretty baller. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do like how much fun Jerry seems to have just fucking with Charlie. Just when like that scene, yeah, when his mom invited him in, he just loved rubbing salt into the wounds, right? He's like, oh, you know, I'm just going to drop by whenever I want now. It's like just really fucking with Charlie. I did appreciate that. Also, I did have a question about the pencil injury. Me too. Me too. Okay. Now, are we to believe that you can stake a vampire anywhere with any stake 
based wood, a stake shaped wood, and it's a significant number two only. Yeah, that's a number two lead only. That's a significant <laughs> concern because uh, he got stabbed in the hand. That now my bi- vampire biology, admittedly weak, but I don't believe the hand is near the heart. So. I'm wondering what happened there. I'm no doctor, but that checks out. <laughs> but yeah, not only that though, like if you get a splinter, is that gonna oh. fucking send your you know your vampire power into like, you know, like feral mode and you get all like crazy looking? Tremendous question. Because what Mark said earlier is when um he looks normal, he looks like a normal human up until this point with a few like little like red flashes of the eye. You know, you get a hint that he's he's vampire. Um, but like when he gets stabbed in the hand with the pencil. His hand becomes like clawed and like, you know, kind of like monstery. And then you look at his face and it's it's kind of turning that way as well. So what I think it is, is like when when you turn into that that monster form, it's like when you've got your adrenaline going. <clears throat> it's like when you got your vampire like mojo kicking into like turned up to 11. So I don't know they necessarily have to like keep that form in check, like transform into a normal looking person to keep it in check. Or if it's just kind of like when you're super vampire excited, you evolve into that next level. Yeah. Can we just all agree, though, like whenever he gets stabbed in the hand, he acts like a little bitch. It's like, dude, you're probably going to heal back up in a minute, bro. Calm down with the theatrics. Major overreaction. He is just such a punk about it. (laughs) I mean, and maybe it's because he's a super vampire and he hasn't been hurt in a long time and he forgot what pain is like. But to go back to Garrett's question about splinters, he lives in a house with a lot of wood. There's wood everywhere. If if wood is so dangerous to him, perhaps he could reduce the amount of wood he surrounds himself with. Great point. Great point, John. <laughs> a little more masonry, a little, you know, brick and mortar. Let's this guy's not thinking. Yeah, he moved into the creepiest wooded house. I think one of the cops even makes a, a comment or no, Peter Vincent does when they roll up to do the, the trick later. He's like, mm, I can see why you think that his house is a fucking haunted house, basically. <laughs> my and I'm classic John style. I'm skipping ahead a bit. But my favorite part is when the house just suddenly gets foggy. Oh, God. <laughs> and it's like, how is, is nobody looking out a window? right now what the fuck is happening to this house call at the very least people would be calling the fire department well that's not true john because most people in a neighborhood are not watching everyone else's house except for charlie who is clearly just disturbed there was so much fog rolling off of that house even if you accidentally you people two towns over would have seen it (laughs) like what is going on over there (laughs) oh man yeah no so that's a great point though like he does get stabbed and he reacts as if like you know you would just shot his mother in front of him i was like dude you know you're gonna be fine you know you've you've dealt with worse but um but that just goes to say like could you just stab a vampire in the hand with seven pencils at once and kill him is that enough of a is that enough stake to to take him out or does it have to be through the heart or can it be anywhere in the body because if that's the case man just stab him in the head with a stake and boom, you're done. Yeah. There's some problems that I'm going to bring up later with staking. Okay. It's not detrimental to the movie, but it's kind of like, I don't know if you follow the same logic here uh, for one of this, these characters in particular, but yeah, I mean, suburbanite Jerry Dandridge manages to pull a stake out by himself and keep going about his business. So it's like, why the pencil, you know, did that really hurt you that bad, bro? I don't think so. I think you just wanted to ham it up. Yeah. I'm going to swoop in here with some head cannon and it was shock. I'm thinking he was shocked and honestly probably appalled that this happened to him. 
and he could not handle it, so he just bitched out about it. Okay, yeah, that's fair. I'll, I'll give you that. For, for the sake of moving this podcast along, we'll say there was a valid reason for him reacting the way he did. <laughs> I would like to continue talking about this for at least 45 more minutes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even got to the mom's reaction. Uh, her door is jammed. She hears all of this screaming. She's like, Charlie, my door won't open. She finally gets it open, and she's like, Oh, a nightmare? All right, here's your Valium. I also had a nightmare. And totally like not concerned with just the obvious lies and chaos that happened in her home. Well, did you notice when uh, Jerry pulled her, because he, he's creeping through their house, through Charlie and his mom's house. Mm-hmm. He leaves his mom's room. He pulls the door shut, and then he yanks it so tight that it, it splinters the door frame out at his face and like so he's like jammed it shut but like i would have loved if by the rationale of everything else in this movie they when he pulls that door tight and the door like the door frame splinters out he kind of goes huh like he gets scared of it <laughs> that would have been that would have been so good but um yeah no he does uh pull that jammed and then he has that whole interaction with charlie where basically he flat out he tells him he's like you can you can ignore this or you're going to die straight up and at this point this is when he's like okay I've got to do something about it. He goes to meet uh, Peter Vincent at this point because he, you know, he's like, you know who can help me? Peter Vincent. This guy's a vampire killer. Now, I've never looked at someone on TV and been like, that person's legitimately, that actor's legitimately what they they portray. So yeah. it's a little bit of a leap for him to just kind of be like, this guy's a legitimately a vampire killer. Right. Charlie is an old teenager. He's like 16, 17. He's old enough to know TV's fake. So I don't understand his thought process at being like, let me go find this imaginary character and ask them for help. Wait, guys, are you telling me that Arnold Schwarzenegger is not a Terminator? He might be, actually. I hate to break this news to you, Mark. I've lived my whole life in a lie. <laughs> yeah no i'm just kidding of course he's a terminator mark Everybody oh thank that. you oh my god I, my whole life was just flashing before my eyes thank you i know we don't want that to happen he's definitely a terminator nick cage is definitely a ghostwriter you're safe mark don't worry about it we're all good oh, here the world's right again thank you but yeah so he goes and talks to peter vincent and he's and peter vincent's like oh do you want an autograph and he's like no and then i love the like the look on peter vincent's face where he goes oh like <laughs> he's so he's like i'm being bothered by this autograph and the moment the guy's like no i don't want an autograph he's like uh, kind of offended but yeah no he tells him like hey my neighbor's a vampire you know we need to do something about this and then peter vincent's like kid you're crazy you need to go home and just chill out and let this go so he goes home he decided he's gonna sister's gonna do it for himself he goes home and that's when amy and evil come over to the house because they haven't seen peter in a little bit or i'm sorry they haven't seen um charlie in a little bit and inside his room, this was my favorite visual of the whole movie. They open his door, and from T to B, top to bottom, corner to under the bed, this room is covered in garlic, candles, crosses. I mean, he's like whittling steaks on his bed, and the decor of his room is like an old woman's bread and breakfast. It's so like out of place. So somebody tell me why the candles... Why the fucking candle? Why 95 candles? Why not one candle? Like what? Candles don't do shit against vampires or did I miss something? It's for the atmosphere, Mark. If you're going to do something, you know, do it right. Yeah. That's not right. That's excessive. That's a that's a fire hazard. In these wooden houses, in this neighborhood built of matchsticks and... <laughs> 
<laughs> like splinters, man. That house is going to go up. Okay, if you actually watch that scene really closely, once Amy and Evil come in and they're like, you know, like she's like, "What are you doing?" and he's like, "Yeah, Evil's like, "Yeah, man, like where you been? We've we've missed you." If you look at when Amy starts talking again, you'll notice that Evil looks down yanks his arm a little bit to the side and then changes position because he was too close to one of the candles and it was kind of burning him (laughs) or he thought he was going to like catch on fire. Like if you look close, the actor actually goes, oh shit, and kind of backs away from one of the candles in uh, the scene. So I was like, okay, cool. There is too many candles in this room. Maybe he was like, okay, I need light. And he thought that vampires were afraid of fire because he's confusing vampires and Frankenstein. Uh, maybe that's what he's thinking but yeah i mean the amount of candles there is a hazard especially if he thought he was going to get into a physical confrontation right so now you got people getting thrown around the room rough housing and candles getting knocked over left and right oh excellent point excellent point yeah, he's only gonna hurt himself there you go or his mom i mean the house may catch on fire and his mom may be locked in that room due to jerry dandridge right you know closing it shut so he, he just he's not good at this which is very obvious because they um amy and evil are like oh my god he's serious and evil's kind of on board for this well why don't you let us try again before you do anything there's not enough time amy well what happens if you go into that house alone and he gets you who's gonna stop him then yeah then he'll be able to suck his way through the entire town not that it would be much of a loss but then he tells them that he they tried to get, you know, they're like, well, what if we get, you know, Peter Vincent's help? And he's like, I already tried. He wants nothing to do with it. And they're like, don't do anything until we go talk to Peter. So Amy and Evil go over to Peter's apartment. And this is where they kind of come in. They're like, we got to talk to you. And he's like, do you want an autograph? Are you here for an interview? And they're like, oh, no, our friend came to see you. And he's like, oh, yeah, that dude needs help. <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, he's going to kill somebody. He's going to kill his neighbor because he really thinks he's a vampire. Can you come with us? And prove to him that this dude's not a vampire, so this our friend doesn't commit fucking first degree murder. <laughs> um, and he's like, I don't know. This is another scene where he's like, All right, kids, you want an autograph? And they're like, What? No, uh, this is way more important. And he goes, What could be more important than my autograph? <laughs> and I laughed so hard at that. And then they were like, Oh, it's a man's life. And he thinks about it and he goes, Okay, yeah. I was like, Ah, oh, Peter Vincent, you big egoed fool. And I love how excited Ed is during this whole scene. Like as Peter's talking and Amy and them are like discussing what's going on. Ed looks like a fucking kid in candy shop. Like he's so excited to be there with this guy that he thinks is awesome. He, he you know, he's just happy to be part of the plan at this point. But um, he's like, I can't do it. And she's like, I've got money. And he's like, how much? And she's like, I got a $500 savings bond. He's like, done. Let's go. So yeah, Peter Vincent, super dick. How is he going to take $500 from a teenager? What is he doing with himself? You got to know your value, John. You got to know your value. I guess so. They uh, they come up with this elaborate plan to... Um, and they, they actually call Jerry Dandridge, suburban vampire, and say, Hey, this kid wants to kill you, but we're trying to prove that you're not really a vampire. Can we come over and do the following? And he's got these rules like no crosses no holy water. And they're like, well, what if it's just regular tap water? You drink that and then we pretend it's holy water. And he's like, okay, yeah, that's cool. The whole time munching his apple on the phone. So this is the plan. They go to get um, Charlie because they're going to prove that it's good. Now, Charlie still doesn't believe this. And Peter's not there yet. He's like five minutes late. Charlie's freaking out. They all show up together. And 
this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when they go into the house and try to um, prove that uh, Jerry's not a vampire because the way he comes down the stairs, it's like this like very it's it's so vampire. It's it, it, to your point. Um, I don't know if it was John or Mark that was saying like this dude just loves fucking with Charlie like he loves it so much. Yeah, he it is one of the joys of his life or death <laughs> on life right now to fuck with Charlie. Yeah, this this is probably the for me, this is the best scene in the movie. This is what made the movie a classic. So Jerry comes down the stairs all with his vampire swag. He sees Amy falls uh, head over heels for Amy. Uh, he saunters over, you know, grabs her hand, gives her this really long, uncomfortable kiss on her hand. And uh, and then you know makes the the joke about oh isn't that what vampires are supposed to do? Then he shoots little finger guns. Uh, okay, he doesn't do that, but it'd been great if he did. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Peter Vincent's like, all right, listen, dude, perfectly normal request. We just got to prove to this dude that you're not a vampire. Is that cool? And he is like, I brought this holy water. Dun dun dun. Can you drink it? And uh, Jerry, a uh, uh, suburban vampire, is like naturally i'll drink this random water and everyone holds their breath nothing bad happens he's like see i'm not a vampire charlie of course cannot handle this break with reality and is like well obviously that's not holy water uh because he'd be dead because he's a vampire and peter vincent is like no it's holy water i saw father mcflanagan uh blessed himself and it it was an obvious lie. It was tap water. So they're like, all right, Charlie, you know, let's get out of here. He's not a vampire. Charlie's having a real hard time believing all this. And Peter pulls out like a blush, essentially, a little box with a mirror on it. I watched this movie twice and I still don't know what was he doing? Why did he pull that out? That's his powder case. He's putting on more of that white powder that he wears. <laughs> he needed to uh, reapply his baby powder. And he actually told uh, Evil when Evil was at his apartment that it was a prop from one of his movies. Evil was really impressed when he picked it up. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why he used it though. Like that's a good point though. Like he that, that was not part of his plan. He just did that just for kicks, I guess. Yeah, the fake holy water was the big you know, trick. Uh, but I, I like the baby powder idea. So head cannon. He pulls out his baby powder case. He goes to reapply, you know, his face powder, and he sees that Jerry does not have a reflection. This startles him, and he drops the case, and glass breaks everywhere. And Jerry's like, "Yo, are you okay over there?" And he's like, "Oh, you know me, just." clumsy with my baby powder case uh he picks it up and then flees the house and then they get outside and he's all like i gotta go and they're like what the hell's wrong dude you saw something he's like nope nope we're cool and they're like what did you see And he's like uh that dude had no reflection and then drives the fuck off like good luck kids yeah and then back inside uh jerry steps on the uh the piece of glass that was left the mirror piece of mirror there and he goes hmm like he like oh shit peter peter knows um he doesn't like say it out loud, but he kind of like knows that Peter knows at this point. Now, this is the part that really fucking confused me. So we cut to the next scene of evil Amy and Char- uh, evil Amy and Charlie walking through the the inner city streets alleyways. Yeah, and I'm like, doesn't doesn't Charlie live right next door to Jerry? Like, where are they? Where are they now? But it's like a back alley set. Well, that's what I was talking about earlier when I was mentioning that apparently 
Amy bicycles across town through the cut to get to Charlie's house because they're like, uh, Evil's like, I'm going home. And, and Charlie's like, no, you're not. We're walking Amy home first. And it's like, where the fuck does Amy live? In the next district over? Has to be. I imagine it's like suburban town, urban city, suburban town, and Amy lives in the other town. So you have to cross some really crappy city to get from where Jerry lives, or sorry, where Charlie lives to where Amy lives. <laughs> uh, that's the only possible explanation. Because they just walk one block and they are in a different movie. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, no. So they're in this like, and that's when uh, we talked about they're hearing some noise and Charlie's still not convinced. He's like, nope, y'all are wrong. That motherfucker's a vampire. So we get uh, Ed playing a trick. They kind of split up for a minute because um, Ed's like, well, screw you guys. I'm going home. You know, like I'm not put up with this. He starts screaming. They come. And he's like, oh, my God, he got me. He got me. And they. Amy and Charlie are both like, holy shit. Like, you know, like they instantly believe this. And he's like, got you, psych. Well, Amy was actually enjoying the prank. She was laughing alongside evil right in Charlie's face. And I was like, you literally just mothered this kid earlier thinking he was mentally damaged. And now you're laughing at this prank that this other kid did. Look, it was a good ass joke. You got to get your chuckles in, man. I mean, she knew she knows what's funny. But yeah, so at this point, this is where uh, evil gets cornered in the alley and uh, gets turned into a vampire. He gets he gets um he gets the option like he kind of like you know Jerry's like yo straight up I get it you're different no one you know you don't belong but tell you what you belong with us and suburbanite chili cook off winner Jerry Dandridge <laughs> is starting to get his fog play on that John mentioned about the house like the whole alley just fills with this fog and I'm like okay I guess we need to add that to the vampire power list apparently you can create and manipulate fog i think that's a real thing i think that's actually like legit i remember like other vampire movies like having fog powers one of the less pronounced powers i guess yeah that's true <laughs> yes it's not quite that he he can't pull down the fog over an entire city the the speech jerry gives evil is ties back to the the i i think very plausible idea that jerry's the evil of his own group because the speech that he gives him is basically evil ed edward i'm you I know what it's like to be uh, made fun of. So join Team Jerry and we won't make fun of you. That's basically his pitch. And it's all Ed needs. He's like, fuck yeah, I'm on Team Jerry. Okay, let me bring this up and uh, present it to you because I was reading something in Wikipedia that said that uh, basically Jerry Dandridge and his manservant were homosexual. I don't know if you guys picked up on any of that, but apparently there's a scene where Billy Cole um, apparently goes down on Jerry from like a, a shot in the window. Like What? Th- that's what I read in, on the Wikipedia. I don't remember that. I mean, at most, then Jerry would be bisexual because he loved... Yeah, there you go. Amy reminded him of a long lost love that he's got a painting of. So he obviously loves women. Uh, so, you know, he's a vampire. Maybe his sexuality's fluid. I- I'd buy that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't remember the scene that they're talking about, but, you know, it doesn't seem impossible. So do you think maybe this is some sort of analogy or, or something for acceptance of homosexuality? Do we think maybe Evil Ed is gay? I think you can make this argument for any any uh, plot line that basically you know causes someone who's felt like an outcast to finally accept who they are based off you know the support of others. So I don't know if this is necessarily an allegory for that, but I definitely I mean I could see how one could make that argument. But to John's point, 
we've got empirical evidence that basically shows that if anything, at this point, he's just bisexual. You know, Jerry Dandridge, bisexual vampire. Bisexual suburban vampire. Oh, there you go. Let's not forget his most important trait. Okay. <laughs> Give him, him a nice pair of, you know, khakis and a little, uh, you know, side grill. That's good. That's fair. Um, so, yeah, um, at this point, evil is gone. He's a vampire now. So they're walking and they hear evil scream again. And Charlie is like, all right, that's definitely a vampire scream. I know this. And Amy's like, oh, it could just be evil fucking with us again. And then the power cuts. And Charlie's like, all right, smart ass. This is just a power outage. And Amy's like, well, duh, what else is it? But then they see suburban bisexual vampire Jerry and they panic. They start running. Uh, and to Mark's point about where are they right now, they apparently a block and a half from this quiet suburban neighborhood is some sort of industrial restaurant and club, uh, <laughs> which they sneak in through the kitchen. Oh, yeah, they, they jump over, like, the prep table to get into this kitchen, which leads into, and it's a full kitchen. We're talking yeah. restaurant-level kitchen. And then they run right into a dance club. And I was like, I don't know. I've been to some dance clubs in my day, but I've never known a dance club to have a full kitchen. No. You know, you can't go you can't go dancing and then enjoy a nice, like, order of chicken strips. You know, <laughs> like it's like, this is not how it goes. And it is packed. I mean, this is a balls-to-the-wall-filled nightclub in the middle of this town on like a tuesday night it is this you know what they should have filmed this in in applebee's that would have been believable <laughs> all right that's what people are doing on on tuesday nights in suburbia they're not going to some synth club that has a full kitchen that's just not a thing that's happening well that's just what you did in the 80s dude remember terminator terminator ends up in a nightclub too I was literally thinking, like, how many movies ended up in the nightclub in the 80s? And what about recent horror movies? I don't think anyone goes to the club anymore. But in Terminator, that was a plot point, though. They were supposed to go to the club. And Lyndall Hamilton's like, I don't feel like going out tonight and meeting dudes. I'm going to stay home. And then when shit pops off, she's like, I got to go to the club to find my friend because that's where she is. That made sense. In this place, it made no sense. I mean, but maybe this is why, you know, Jerry Dandridge, khaki wearing suburban vampire, decided to, bisexual khaki wearing suburban vampire, decides to move to this town because they've got everything. They've got metropolitan. They've got suburbia. They've got dance clubs. They've got um, TV stations. Um, I mean, they've got it all here. Does it have a boardwalk? Yes, they've got a and I mean, you know, all within like a six block radius of each other, evidently. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like this is a studio backlot. <laughs> it's almost. Uh, I mean, I know, of course it's not, but it's almost like that. So close. This scene is intercut in between a scene where Ed goes to uh, Peter Vincent's house and is like, you got to let me in. There's vampires out there. Peter Vincent being the nice guy that he is, lets him in. And then Ed's like, haha, full juice, psych, I am a vampire. They have a nice little like conversation about the whole thing. And then Peter Vincent puts a cross to uh, Evil's head and burns an X in his head. And um, this part was so crazy because Ed feels so powerful. He feels like he finally has control of his life and who he is. Like he knows what he's supposed to be doing. And it gets turned on him so quick because the moment he gets um, burned by that cross, he reverts to this kind of like weak childish like almost crying like persona and he's like i'm gonna tell my master he's gonna make you pay and not in like this kind of like whiny little like wuss way but almost just like he's like a child playing at being an adult and um i don't know again that's why this character is so interesting and and unique in this story is that like 
those those kind of moments, you know, you really kind of understand and feel for Ed in this film. But you know, as we said, this is intercut with a scene back at the club where Jerry Dandridge puts the uh, the glamorine on Amy, and they have a whole dance number in this club. Uh, uh, excuse me, uh, excuse me, Smarm Charm. Smarm Charm. He puts the Smarm Charm on him, and they have a whole little dance number while. Um, while Charlie's calling um, Vincent Price to say, you know, dude, you got to help us out. Like he's coming after Amy. And so then he runs out this point, the jig is up. Uh, what, what's so funny? Well, it dude, it's like he, he full on is, is doing a whole dance routine through like eight or nine songs. And Charlie <laughs> is not even aware that his, his, his gal is out there like sexually dancing with this vampire guy. I mean, he goes in for some grabs. He gets really handsy with yeah. Amy and Charlie is nowhere to be seen. Well, it's be- like, bro, what are you doing? For whatever reason, Charlie gets on the phone and then faces a wall. Right. He's like, I'm not, I, there's, I don't need to see what's going on around me. So he turns around and looks at a wall and then he has, to your point, uh, Mark and Garrett, the longest phone conversation on earth. Hey, Peter, how's it going? Long time no see. You know, how's the family? It just goes on and on and on. What is he talking about? And two points to that. The first thing is, is right before he goes and makes this call, he tells Amy, don't worry, I've got you. I'm not, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I'm right here for you. And then, like you said, immediately turns his back to her yeah. and has the longest phone call. Now, I don't know if most of our listeners remember um, pay phones, but uh, some of us in this podcast are, you know, from the, the days of horse and buggy. And uh, we remember pay phones. You got maybe two minutes of talk time before you had to put more fucking quarters in. <laughs> like you would, you did, you could not have a 30 minute conversation on a pay phone without having to pay the fuck up. That's part of what took Charlie so long. He kept having the fine quarters so that he could feed the phone. <laughs> <laughs> you, what I would have loved to see, what would have been a great scene is if he had called like 1-800-COLLECT and then he tried to get his message in when, the, when they're like, okay, please say the name. He's like, Hey, Peter, uh, it's Charlie. Vampire's coming after us. Coming to your house. <laughs> Click. <laughs> yeah, that would have worked. But you're right. So finally, Charlie wises up. And then, like, the bouncers start coming after Jerry Suburbanite, cleanest lawn in the HOA, Dandridge. <laughs> now, this is where I think he's such a bad vampire. Because he spent the entire movie trying to hide the fact of what he is. He's out there murdering women, getting his blood drink on. And now, all of a sudden, he doesn't give a shit. He goes full red eye. He scratches the face and, like, snaps a dude's neck. And it's like, bro, there's 100 witnesses that can easily identify you. and you're done for you blew it now you got to move into two blocks over or two districts over and change your name to harold jerry's not that smart his would have he would have just changed his name to jerry with a g let's be honest here (laughs) (laughs) but the bouncer behavior also doesn't make any sense they're like they come in right and they're like all right you know leave her alone but amy is like totally enamored she has been uh whatever Mark calls it, glamoured. Smarm charm. Yeah. She doesn't act like she's not with Jerry, but they just are like, leave her alone. It comes out of nowhere. It's very weird. If anything, they should have attacked Charlie, who just runs onto the dance floor and, and gets his hand crushed because he's a punk. Yeah. I mean, so at this point, it's it's all pandemonium. Like, you know, people in the club are fleeing. I mean, there's no way of getting around that this is not a vampire. He's blown his cover completely. And he takes Amy. Yeah, and of course, uh, suburbanite Jerry Dandridge drives a Jeep. 
They drive away and evil's in the back going, ha ha ha, Charlie, fuck you. <laughs> like, So at this point, he goes home. He goes to Peter Vincent. He's like, we got to do something to save her. You know, and he's like, nope, sorry, can't help you. I'm just a fake. You know, this is not what I do. Deuces, get the fuck out of my apartment. So then at this point, like, I know that they call uh, Peter Vincent's house and he's all like, you know, tell him to you and Peter Vincent come over tonight and you can get Amy back. And this is kind of like where the big showdown is about to go down. Peter, it's just us. We're going to have to save Amy. I can't. I was paid to be there today. I know. And you still want me to help you? Yes. You're Peter Vincent. The great vampire killer. That is a character in a movie. That, that isn't even my real name. I... I'm terrified. I'm sorry, Charlie, but I am. I can't do it alone, Peter. If you don't help, Amy is going to die. Me too, probably. Please, Peter. I'm sorry, Charlie. And this was was his character development, right? So he's in there telling... Uh, Charlie like dude I'm not this I'm a coward I'm I'm this isn't what I can do so Charlie goes to that house by himself and he's surprised when Peter Vincent shows up and he's like I'm gonna here to help Charlie I brought all the tools I've got the crosses we've got stakes and then like Charlie all of a sudden is like you don't have to do this bro and it's like well you were just begging him to you should be happy he's here you know and then but then like you're right he's like hyping himself up and it's like okay this is where Peter Vincent is finally going to step up his game and try to be more than just a cowardly failed actor on television. And he's going to go do something. Which was the weirdest pairing of like this old man who was a fraud who has decided he has to like step it up. And this like young teenager who just like, you know, is lucky that he can tie his shoes every morning. And it's just like, oh, we got a real crack team here, don't we? I honestly expected them not to get her out. Like the first time I saw this movie, I was like, well, she's dead. (laughs) I was like, this is not succeeding in any form or fashion. Yeah. You know, the more we talk about Charlie in depth, the less I like him and the more bumbling idiot he becomes. (laughs) Yeah. The only reason they won or they win, spoiler, by the way, uh, is because to your point, Mark, as you've mentioned multiple times, Jerry is even more of a moron <laughs> yeah. than the two morons who are fighting him. <laughs> I love the fact that this is like this is this, this could be a Monty Python sketch at this point. It's <laughs> just a bunch of idiots just barely making it through. They go inside, they're going to find Amy. Uh they're going up the stairs. Jerry pops up and he's like, "Hi, do you like my suburban home? My chinos? Grab yourself a V8, you know." <laughs> and um he holds up uh Peter Vincent holds up the cross and he's like, "Oh, you dumb bastard." That only works if you have faith. And he's like, ah, shit. And so then um, Charlie holds one up. And I guess Charlie's religious and believes. Yeah. Because Charlie holds up a cross. And then Jerry's like, ah, shucks, the power of Christ compels me. Mm-hmm. Um, and steps a couple steps back. And then out of nowhere, his faithful manservant, Tony or Billy or Chuck, I don't remember his name, um, walks up and just goes. Billy Cole. Yeah, Billy Cole just goes. Bam, right hook. Yeah. Knocks fucking uh, Charlie out cold off the steps onto the ground. I was like, well, his neck's broken. Suburban boxer, Billy Cole, <laughs> just comes out, khakied up, hits him with that left hook, and that is the end of Charlie for life. Uh, no, somehow Charlie just bounces right back. <laughs> but yeah, suburban boxer, Billy Cole, ruins Charlie, man. 
whose neck already fucked up from an earlier scene. <laughs> he's, he just can't, his poor neck, man. He's going to have like the, the worst troubles later on. Yeah. I'd like to just briefly discuss how Chris Sarandon is going to play Jerry Dandridge, suburban vampire from here on out. And I really, I don't particularly like it. He is so melodramatic whenever he's got the fangs and the red eyes, like almost to a point of, I think I'm watching Peter Vincent's performance. Like it's, it's that ham fisted to me. And I was just like, man, why do you got to ham it up that much? He does go hard with it. Yeah, he does. So here's my, here, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out, Mark. Here's some trademarked John headcanon. Maybe, as we've discussed, or Jerry, not popular with the vampire crowd, got banished to some half-suburbia, has never seen how vampires interact with each other. So he only knows how to be a vampire from seeing other vampires on television. So he thinks this is how he's supposed to act. (laughs) (laughs) What if Jerry Dandridge, suburban vampire, was Peter Vincent's co-star back in the day, but actually got turned into a vampire (gasps) and had to leave and go into exile because he knew that his partner would have to stake him. And he was like, I can't put Peter Vincent through that, so I'll just leave. And then he went out to try to be a vampire on his own, but he never found any other vampires. And he only knew what he saw from making the movie with Peter Vincent and then in a fit of 100 plus years of loneliness comes back to the place that he knows to be close to the one person he had a connection with although there's a lot of angst and frustration so he lashes out and picks on and becomes a bully for Charlie who he sees a lot of himself in mm-hmm. and then still wants to connect though with Peter just just even being that close to him and then full circle Peter's got to get back involved and I would have loved if there was an embrace and it was like oh my god it's you and it's like it's you and then you know what? There you go. But here's the problem. Peter Vince is not that old, but I think you're almost, you're right there. Now, suburban vampire Jerry hung out and knew Peter Vincent's grandfather before <gasps> he was a T. Te- Peter Vincent comes from a family of actors who played vampire slayers. Now it was a TV show. I love it. But before he was in movies, <laughs> it was like a circus thing. He was a he, he was a vaudevillian actor. He was a vampire killer in vaudeville. Bam! <laughs> and that's where he met suburban vampire Jerry. Love it. I'm with you. Better movie. Uh, Hollywood, get at us. We are fixing scripts on this show. (laughs) He comes back to basically like who's Peter Vincent's career is now failed at this point. He comes back to this town to basically show that his partner's grandson, he's like, I'll don't worry. I won't let this happen to your grandson. He goes to convince him that he should keep it up or orchestrates this whole thing to motivate mm-hmm. Peter Vincent to be the vampire killer that he always knew he could be. This is an oath that he pledged to his Peter Vincent's grandfather back before he got turned into a vampire. Right. Wow. I love it. Also, Peter Vincent's grandfather also happens to be called Peter Vincent. It's a family name. Peter Vincent's actually Peter Vincent the third. Wow. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. We are on this. <laughs> so back so back to your back to your point, Mark. Yes, he totally hams it up as a vampire. He starts talking like this. You know, like <laughs> he, he becomes a what we do in the shadows character, basically. In the meantime, uh before they showed up, Jerry had uh, went ahead and vampirized Amy. She's over in the side room. She's busy changing. And I guess this uh, this is revealed to us in the last minute by Peter Vincent. He's like, well, if we get rid of Jerry suburbanite vampire Dandridge before the sun comes up, she'll get turned back to normal. 
And this is a thing I have a problem with because this all takes place in the titular Fright Night. It's all in one evening. Mm-hmm. There was another person that was turned tonight. His name is Evil Ed. Thank you. That was my... I was like, nobody gives a fuck about evil. They don't even try... For Amy, they're like, don't worry, Amy. We are going to save you. We're going to be so gentle. For poor evil, they're like, stake that motherfucker on sight. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hate to I hate to bring this up right now because it might you know, you know, upset you for what could have been. But according to IMDb trivia, in 2015, when asked if he could do a sequel to any of his movies, ignoring existing reboots, for a YouTube fan question video, writer director Tom Holland replied that he'd like to do a follow up to Fright Night utilizing the original cast. His proposed plot was that the single father, Charlie Brewster, inherits his mother's home and soon after taking up residence, his two teenage children become convinced that there's something evil in the house next door, namely Evil Ed, who is squatting in the abandoned mansion attempting to resurrect Jerry Dandridge. But that doesn't address the question of why would Amy get turned back, but Evil Ed is fucked. (laughs) I I feel bad for Ed. He can't make a break. Well, because... Because Ed gets staked. Okay, so this, so yes, at this point, after Charlie gets knocked out, Peter, uh, Peter Vincent like hauls ass. He's like, "Fuck it, screw this, I'm out." Okay, I can't do this. Uh, they take Charlie. They lock him in the same room as Amy, who he doesn't know has been turned just yet. Then we cut back outside to uh, Peter Vincent, who runs next door to check on Charlie's mom and get her. And he goes inside and he's like, Mrs. Charlie, I don't remember her name. Um, If you're not too high on Valium, wake up because I have to ask you a question. (laughs) And um, so he runs upstairs and then out of the covers pops up Evil Ed wearing a Raggedy Ann fucking hairpiece. Loved it. Um, And I'm talking Raggedy Ann made of yarn hairpiece. He's like, mommy's out right now but she left a note and uh, god i just love his performance so much but anyway uh him and peter vincent have a fight and peter vincent ends up like down the end of the hall ed turns into a wolf and runs at peter vincent tackles him and then they fall through the uh banister on the edge of the um the stairs and so ed falls to the ground but one of the posts from the uh the stairwell impales through his his chest slash heart and peter vincent gets up and he goes downstairs to see that ed is transforming from the wolf back into human form and you know kind of like dying and the look on his face god this actor doesn't get enough credit because when you look at ed dying the the look and the way he conveys it you feel for him. Like, you legitimately are like, oh, my God, damn, this dude didn't deserve any of this. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I did feel for him for the first uh, 27 minutes. But <laughs> this death scene, it was like Tropic Thunder style death scene. It just goes on and on it, beyond. It takes it so far. It goes from empathy to comedy. Uh, <laughs> it, they could have they should have cut it a little bit. It, it definitely is a little bit long, but I, they, they had all those effects. I'm sure they didn't want to waste any of them, but I agree. It does go in a little bit long. So this motivates uh, Peter Vincent to be like, OK, shit. I don't know if he's like empowered because he killed Ed the vampire or if just he feels guilty about it, but he goes back next door. I think it's important to note that he remove he removes the stake on his way out. Oh, did he? I don't remember that part. Shit. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a borderline comedic scene because it's like it's like this kind of medium shot and Peter Vincent gets up and he like looks down at what he did and then he just kind of with two hands. 
think takes the stake and walks out. It was it's a well done shot. Yeah. And so he runs back next door. He's going to basically, you know, try to save everybody. He goes inside. He sneaks inside upstairs where uh, Charlie is locked in the room with Amy. At this point, um, he's like, Charlie, you're going to have to make some noise. I'm going to have to break the door down. So Charlie starts making some noise. And then the, the vampires, the vampire downstairs, Jerry, hears it. And he's like, oh, it seems like our friend Amy's waking up. And at this point, he knows she's been bit. Charlie knows she's been bit. So he's kind of like, fuck, we got to hurry. They've bit Amy. She's going to turn. And Peter's like, okay, cool. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go downstairs. The sun's about to come up. We're going to fight these motherfuckers. We're going to save everybody. Still no mention of evil because, you know, as you guys said, they're complete bastards. (laughs) So this is where the final confrontation happens because they start to go downstairs to get Amy and everybody you know, out and stuff like that. And they run across his um, his manservant, Billy Bragg, or Billy Coltrane. What's his name? Billy Cole. Cole, okay. Billy Cole. Okay, Billy Cole. And they shoot him. Peter shoots him straight up with a gun, which I'm like, if you've had this the whole time, dude, you know, come on. And um, is this where we find out that Billy's a zombie? Yeah, he. Uh, um, I guess Jerry Dandridge comes back in, and they keep doing this cross-play he keeps, they keep showing these crosses to Jerry Dandridge, and he's like, you got to have faith, which we already touched on. And that's when the manservant gets back up, and they put another like five rounds into the guy. And then it was the cross, wasn't it? The, he starts turning into goo. Yeah. The manservant. Charlie runs up and stabs him in the chest with one of the, uh, the crosses that he has. And then he starts like turning into this like, melty goo monster skeleton thing looked awesome as hell though amazing effect it was a great effect but i don't know why he had to be staked to go down that i was like okay i guess that's just what we're doing yeah uh pro tip just stake everything ask questions later <laughs> right. yeah it you know maybe it'll work maybe it won't but when you're dealing with the undead better safe than sorry yeah uh now because obviously traditional zombie rolls didn't work right he did get shot right in the head no effect oh that's a good point he laughed at your headshot. yeah uh, so, you know, they were out of ideas onto the cross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that, that's very interesting. Cause I didn't even, I didn't even put that together, but yeah, he gets, that's the first shot he gets shot in the head and he gets right back up. So evidently the, the, the power of Christ compelled him also to get, you know, fucked. So, um, at this point, Jerry suburbanite vampire is busy playing with his food or something. He's fucking around. Like he's floating outside the windows with green gases and lights He's outside the house being a real jackhole. And I'm like, can you just fucking kill him, dude? What are you doing? Yeah, I did. What What? What? The, what was he doing out there? He's like on the roof. He's hanging on to the siding. He's basically doing anything and everything except killing the people he wants to kill. Jerry went for a walk in the middle of this fight for his life. And we didn't mention, but he has like 75 clocks in his house. So <laughs> clearly he's preoccupied with time. But right now, he doesn't care what fucking time it is. Yeah. He's a dumbass vampire. He's on the bottom of the list. Jerry Dandridge learned how to be a vampire from watching old Jerry Lewis films. <laughs> and just convinced that he was, he was a, like, hey, I got to go be a vampire. And it's like, oh, God. Um, yeah. So <laughs> at this point, they realize, oh, man, it's a, the sun's about, sun is rising. And um, so he goes down to the basement to put himself into his coffin. And they go downstairs. They're like, all right, let's end this. It's 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 go time. Now, to Mark's point, what the fuck is Jerry Dandruff thinking? <laughs> he, he these people didn't just leave his house. <laughs> he turns into a bat, flies 
into the main spot they're going to look for him and falls asleep. And he's like... Yeah, he goes, takes a nap. Yeah, nothing bad is going to come out of this. What is he doing? He's a creature of habit. What can you, what can you say? I, it, it's inexplicable. He's like, the battle's over. It's, uh, it's time to lick my wounds in my coffin. It's like, <laughs> no, bro, what are you thinking? You, now you're, tr- you're most vulnerable. You're, 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 you're stuck in this room. You're stuck in the cellar where clearly they just put up drapes and spray painted the windows and Amy comes down and she's doing her giant gaping mouth thing, which was weird, but I thought it looked really cool. Mm-hmm. Not sure why half vampire Amy would be able to morph her face like that. She tricks Charlie into dropping his cross that's been protecting him the whole time. I'm like, you dumbass fucking Charlie. What are you doing, man? <laughs> Dude, Charlie's so dumb. Dude, they are, it's a comedy of errors. This movie is a race to the bottom of dumbness. <laughs> he sees that she has this crazy vampire mouth and she is trying to kill him. She turns for once. Oh, you said you wouldn't let him get me, Charlie. And he's like, oh, I guess she's cured now. Throws his fucking cross like halfway across the room. Not going to need this anymore. And goes to hug her. Like, Charlie, do you have a short-term memory problem? Do you not remember 15 seconds ago? (laughs) He's got memento disease. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a cross on the back of the cross is written point at vampires. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Originally, Finding Nemo was supposed to have Finding Charlie as the sequel. (laughs) Yeah, like that's what it feels like. So, Jerry, who could have hidden anywhere in this blacked out basement rushes to the most obvious defenseless place right charlie not to be undone drops his only weapon that's because he's jerry dandridge suburban master tactician okay he knows where to go at the worst possible time (laughs) it's it's as if none of these people wanted to win they all were just trying to lose on purpose (laughs) Uh, let's finish this movie for as much as we're dogging it i do really like it peter vincent finds the coffin i guess there's like a little hidden switch and it opens up and he's trying to break open the coffin he's going to stake sleeping jerry dandridge and charlie says something like amy and like wakes up the vampire and now he's like oh we're fighting again i didn't realize this would be the next logical conclusion (laughs) to what was going on upstairs by my stained glass staircase right jerry's like y'all still here i thought this was over (laughs) so he's got peter vincent cornered he's about to take him out and they start busting out all the windows and the sunlight's coming in So he gets pinned, you know, kind of in an area where he's gotten stuck and he lunges at Charlie, is it? Or is it Peter Vincent? I forget who's about to get his. They break open a window. The light comes in Mm -hmm. and he bursts into green flame and we see a really, really great effect. And we do need to point out that these effects are really well done. Um, We see face melting Jerry and it's down to a like a bat vampire wolf skeleton thing pinned up against the wall and it just explodes into a pile of bones, um, which I thought was really great. Yeah. Yeah. All the practical effects in this film are like top notch. I mean, the wolf effect. I mean, I mean, you name you name the monster effect in this film and it is done at the top of its game for its time and shit even now to a degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. All the effects in this movie were on point. But that so ends suburbanite jerry's membership in the hoa oh that's true i wonder if he still had to pay his dues <laughs> you gotta pay up front yeah that's true you pay for the year he didn't even get he got three days of hoa dues uh, worth of the year so then it cuts to apparently a couple of nights later and peter vincent's back on tv somehow uh his show's uncancelled and uh charlie and amy 
back to making out. And Peter Vincent's like, yo, shout out this video. This movie's for my boy Charlie. Uh, and Charlie turns off the TV and is like, it's time to make love. And, uh, and goes to town. But he sees some red eyes across the in the window. But this is new Charlie. And new Charlie's like, that's probably unimportant. And goes about his life. And the movie ends, as Mark mentioned, with the best line in the movie. Uh, Evil Ed, who apparently survived, saying, oh, you're so cool, Brewster. Fade the black. Yep. I love it. This movie is amazing. Now, if we follow the logic that Amy was turned back after the death of suburbanite Jerry, Evil should have also turned back. Yes. Now, maybe, okay, you also need the power of love. And nobody loved poor Evil. So he stuck as a vampire, but since Charlie loved Amy, the power of love brought her back. That's the power of love. Care Bear style. Huey Lewis in the news style. <laughs> yes. Are we positive that evil got turned the same night as Amy? Yeah. Yeah, dude. All this shit is all the same night. Okay, so once once they're in the alleyway all the way, because like... He goes and he, you know, they they turn Ed in the alleyway and then they take Amy. But doesn't the next day, isn't it the next day during the day they call, you know, uh, Charlie and say, bring Peter and you tonight to the house if you want Amy back? You know, I thought the same thing, dude. But I remember like watching it and they even make a, a comment of like, it's literally when she got kidnapped and turned, that was right before the uh, or right after the alleyway scene. You know, when evil got cornered, it, I mean, it, it is all the same evening, even though like it feels like over half the movie takes place after that. Right. But this is literally all one night. OK, I was I was just wanted to make sure because I was like, I was like, man, maybe it is correct. And we're just like misremembering like the time frame. But yeah, no, that that makes no sense. But I'm glad evil didn't die. You know, like I know it's totally movie like, you know, like, haha. But still, I was like, that's pretty cool. Well, I think it's a must watch. I would highly recommend this one to anybody who somehow has missed it over all these years. Um, as far as vampires go, uh, it is is a lot of fun to watch, even with the ham-fisted Jerry Dandridge at the end. Um, that brought it down a little bit for me, but uh, I still would definitely recommend it. I agree. I uh, As much you know, shit as I'm giving the movie, I actually really liked it. And you don't really notice a lot of this stuff when you're watching it. You know, Now that I'm sitting back and tearing it apart for two hours, you, you pick up on these things. But it's actually a fun watch, and it's a pretty enjoyable little uh, vampire movie. But that's like my favorite kind. Of, and I think that's why I love 80s horror so much, is that I can like watch these movies and shit all over them for their their absurdity and then just have such a good time like if you think about night at creeps that movie's fucking like the plot wise that movie is all over the place there's character choices and lines that you're just like what the fuck but man night of the creeps is fantastic i mean because it's just so much like insanity they just committed so much to what they were doing that you just can't help but have like an amazing time with that film and that's exactly what what Fright Night is. I mean, there's a reason it's like rated so high and it's like considered such a classic. Yeah. Now, has anybody watched Fright Night 2? Yeah, negatory. I didn't even know there was a Fright Night 2. Fright Night 2 takes place a couple years later where apparently Charlie Brewster has been going to psychiatric care and he no longer believes that Jerry Dandridge was a vampire, just a murderer who was pretending to be a vampire. What? Really? That's why I haven't seen it either, but I looked it up on Wikipedia and that is the plot line. And... 
Um, Peter Vincent, Roddy McDowell does return in this one as well, and he, he loses his show again. And uh, they're they're going to go through a whole new wave of vampires looking to get revenge for the death of Jerry. I I have a lot of questions that you probably don't have the answer to based on the Wikipedia uh, blurb, but that plot seems insane. <laughs> yeah, it came out in 1988 or 89. Um, I'm definitely going to check it out, though I don't expect much from it. I don't really like it when they do that. And that was the same thing with, uh, what was it, Hellraiser 2? Where they're like, oh, you're just crazy. None of that shit happened. And then here we are again, Charlie. Yeah. He wasn't a vampire, even though you saw him turn into a bat. You watched Peter Vincent stake him. You saw your girlfriend's mouth open wide. Like, that logic just doesn't add up for me. That was a thing in the 80s, though. Soror- right? Was it the sorority drill killer? What the hell is that movie called? Part 2, they were also... Slumber Party Massacre 2. Yeah, Slumber Party yeah. Massacre 2. They are like, yeah, that was all just in your head. Uh, your sister's off in crazy camp now. Uh, that was rude. Not crazy camp. Mental hospital now. Uh, so that seemed to be a thing. Yeah, it was yeah, a thing. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I I get what they were trying to do. Was evil in part two? No, he didn't. He he didn't go because he went to do 967 evil. Oh, okay. Well, that's actually an interesting thing, too, because if he thinks he's crazy because Jerry wasn't really a vampire, wouldn't Amy be like, oh, yeah, no, straight up, I turned into a vampire. You saved me. Like, that dude was definitely a vampire. Like, why would she not be like, no, dude, that shit happened straight up? Well, because Amy's not in this movie. She didn't return because she went to go do uh, Married with Children. And I think that actually adds up logistically. Charlie was a shit boyfriend. He didn't pay her any mind. And then he fucked up and let her get captured in the club. You know, I would have broken up with Charlie, too. I got it. Charlie, though, look. I don't want to defend Charlie because he is bumbling at, when operating on all cylinders. But I don't think Charlie's fuck up was letting uh, Amy get captured. I don't think he could have stopped that no matter which way he was facing. What his fuck up was was making a promise that there was no physical way he could have kept. Uh, he really should have been like, babe, I hope you don't get caught by a vampire. I'm going to do my best to make that not happen. But also, it's kind of on you. You know, this is a team effort here. <laughs> I think we've had this conversation before when we when we talk about like, I'll beat right back. You know, like don't don't make promises that you're not positive you can keep. Yeah, that is his main flaw uh, in the capturing of Amy. But I can see why Amy might hold it against him. Yeah, we're over here fixing scripts. We're giving life advice to you listeners. You know, don't make promises you can't keep. Don't get involved with suburbanite vampires. Go to a chiropractor and find out vampire information for us. Yes. Please. Yeah, I'd be anxiously awaiting your reports, uh, listeners. It's all pretty standard stuff, really. But listeners, have you seen Fright Night? You probably have. Let us know what you think about it in our social media. We got a Facebook, a Twitter, and an Instagram. You can find more of our stuff at thegravetalk.com. Drop us a hint. We love discussing things with you guys. If you have any recommendations for films, let us know. Um, let's see. Do we know what's coming up next on our schedule? So the next movie on our list, Mark, is uh, Kuso. One of your choices. Oh, boy. Get ready, fellas. This one is a fucking shit show, crazy balls uh, film directed by some DJ. Garrett, it's a good thing you got your Shutter account fixed because it's on there. Okay, nice. I don't know if you're going to like it. I don't know if you're going to hate it, but it was so fucking weird that I had to talk to somebody about it and make somebody else watch it. So <laughs> listeners, get that one watched and apologies up front. It's really gross. Don't watch it with your kids or your parents. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? 
not we're good to go be safe out there people you know keep doing what you're doing hang in there okay we'll see you next time 